judgment free zone where you can let your guard down and truly be yourself. Here we talk about mental health, recovery stories, healing, mental health in the workplace, self improvement, and so much more. Today, I am excited because I have a very special guest, and the way that we met and connected really easily is very special. Today, I have Jacob with me, Count, um, all the way joining us from the US. Hi, Jacob, how are you feeling today? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the way that we connected on LinkedIn, me and Jacob, and then we exchanged a few messages, and then we kind of like had a Zoom call to discuss the potential of having a podcast. It really happened in a way that was completely unexpected. I truly love the way that he, or let's say what he provides for his clients, his values, and his own understanding of mental health and how especially to provide a safe space for his clients. Uh, so Jacob, I would be grateful if you could, uh, let's say, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. Um, uh, thank you for that uh, introduction, Rashida. Um, so I'm out here in the U.S. in Southern California, and I work for a nonprofit mental health clinic. And I've been working with clients adult clients for about two years now. It'll be two years on June 3rd. So right around the corner of my two-year mark with this nonprofit company. And I work with a ton of different clients from 18 all the way until end of life phase. And so whatever walks through the door, when whatever they come with, whatever level of motivation, I meet them where they're at and they seek to get to a different place in life. And it's an honor to be a part of that. And uh, being a new therapist, I'm not as seasoned as others, but gosh, I'm just, I'm learning so much from my clients um, and other professionals that work with me. Uh, a lot of us are, are pretty young and we're all learning together. And it's nice to learn from seasoned professionals in every shape or form. And so it's, uh, it's a little bit about what I do, about 40 hours a week. And you're right, we met through a LinkedIn I came across all of your uh, mental health posts and I was like, man, I was like, look at this therapist. But I, then I looked on uh, your profile and I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm like, you're not a therapist, but gosh, you have the the speech and the nomenclature and the jargon as if you were trained. And I see that you're an advocate and I'm like, my gosh, you, you work and then you do this. And I'm like, you just have quite the heart. And so I gravitated to you and we talked and then came up that Zoom appointment and who would have thought that? LinkedIn connect people from around the world, and then we quickly jump to something like this in less than a month. So that's a, it's pretty awesome to mm-hmm. say that we're presently doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, well, LinkedIn first, let me start by LinkedIn. It's, the community there are very supportive, and it's one thing that I'm on daily basis grateful for. Um, the amount of support and, um, that we, uh, I witnessed and I saw there, people supporting each other. And whenever there is someone speaking about their mental health or struggles, you see 
hundreds and hundreds of comments to support this person um, unlike other social media that I've been through like Facebook or something where you can see people are hating on each other's or you know just trying to um, bully other people behind mm. the screens so this is something that I always am forever grateful for the sense of belonging that we all want to as humans you can find it on LinkedIn and maybe not in real life so whatever works I would say and the second thing that really stood out for me is that when you said and when you mentioned that you meet your clients, whatever they are, whatever that state they come with. And this is very important for someone who's struggling with their mental health because um, one thing I, I would talk from my experience and from uh, the sessions that I did also to support people as a mental first aid. Mm -hmm. um, let's say people usually have kind of like this difficulty to express their struggles and their emotions and everything that is going on inside the mind. It's not, it's not easy for someone who barely have an understanding of, of themselves mm -hmm. and what is going on. Um, at least for me, that was, I did not know what was going on until I had my diagnosis with eating disorder. So before that, I had no idea. I just thought like there is a problem with me mm. and I need to be fixed or some sort of ideas that anyone would go throughout before the final diagnosis. And, and you know, Alawi, if I might say that, even to have the diagnosis is, was relieving for me because what was going on inside of my mind and that bad relationship with myself and with the food back on time mm. has a name. It has something. And you feel just by that, you're not alone and actually alone. You have other people who have the same condition as you. And this is very important for a therapist, I think, because sometimes um, there is, you, you kind of like, meet someone who tell me, well, I kept going from therapists to another, but oh. I haven't found that connection. So mm -hmm. take it from your experience. And I should say that, you know, it's not really related to age, but it's really related to what we offer, providing that safe space, that connection that could click between the therapist and anyone who is struggling with their mental health. Mm. So you actually bring up a really good point. I, I do want to talk about age too. Um, but uh, it makes me happy just to respond to you to see that you were able to put the name to the disguise of what you were experiencing, you know, the eating disorder, like you said. Uh, I'm in conversations like that all the time where we are in a lot of isolated moments. And with enough isolated moments, a theme occurs of this is just how I am and it's not good and others must not know what that feels like. Um, I mean, we do have our unique differences. However, when there's that diagnosis um, listed, it's, it's just nice to put a name to something that's unmapped territory because there's so many people searching or not knowing what the language is when it comes to mental health or what they experience. 
Um, it even goes down to labeling of dislikes of that. And some people appreciate that label too because it helps them explain a phenomenon that has been unexplainable for a very long time. So I, it's nice to see, to hear that from you that you, once you were able to see this is a diagnosis, this is a thing that actually has a, a study and trial and error and treatment for, that's, um, it's a nice thing to experience, I would assume. Um, and then, and then to think about on top of that, there are others out there who must have experienced something similar enough that there is themes arising to a diagnosis. So one, uh, hats off to you for, uh, getting out there, being transparent and vulnerable. It ain't easy. <laughs> it ain't easy. Um, but, but I, I'm so happy that, uh, we decided that this is going to be a little bit unscripted and we're just talking. Um, and I appreciate that. And, but you bring up a, a great point of what's it like when someone comes in saying, I've had X amount of therapists and here you are another face. Boy, uh, uh let me, let me tell you what I, what I, my experience and then of when I was a younger therapist, because I have worked in the industry for two years. However, I also worked two years prior as a trainee. So I got four years of minimal experience compared to seasoned therapists. But I remember my very first client, they were you know half my age. And so age wasn't an issue. However, there's going to be a lot of other things that I can't connect with, or at least this is what is assumed when you're in the client position of, here's another face. How is it that this person can be different from my previous treatment? Or what the heck do I do because they're my first therapist? I remember sitting in that seat, not knowing what I was doing because you're a trainee, observed by other professional psychologists and licensed therapist. At least that's how I was trained. Very hands-on, very scary, but it helps you understand trial and error very quick. And it, it took a while to understand the, the beautiful pressures in that. However, the more that you see clients from all walks of life, such as I do, um, they come in with some questions. How are you different? Or sometimes I'm hit with, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was going to be treated by a guy. Um, I've been hit with things like that or someone that sits down with me, they're like, you're half my age. How can you help me? And those used to pause me in my footsteps. I'm like, oh, they got a point. But we're trained in this and we're trained to capture people's visions and how they see the world. And if someone sits down with me and says, you know, you're a guy I wasn't treated well by my last three therapists who were men. I was taken advantage of by men. Um, my dad was never there. He's a man. Um, I was treated poorly in school by male teachers. So there's these ongoing themes. And so I sit there with them and this is what I say. I said, uh, I said, you got me there. One, two, I will not understand what that's like. Three, do you think you could give me half an hour with you? And halfway through, I'm going to ask you, 
do you think this is working out so far? And if you say yes, we'll finish the last 15, and I'll ask you again. Do you think you could work with me moving forward? To see if we can come together at an understanding that not all men or people that look like me, sound like me, people that identify as men, are going to be like the last things you've experienced. And even on a professional level, I've worked with all female therapists and you're the first male. What, what difference can you provide? I tell them, I have no idea. I don't know what worked or didn't work with your last therapist, but I would love to learn. I would love to know what worked. I would really love to know what didn't work. I would love to know what you're curious about. And when I, I've noticed when I approach that way, versus how I used to approach, which was a defensive way, like, oh gosh, there must be something ill or wrong with me. When I approach the, the more newer way of curiosity, trying to understand them, meet them where they're at, validate that they've been hurt, we then come down to the conclusion at the end that not all, you know, insert here, are the same as your past. And healing already begins. It's the coolest thing to see. It doesn't always happen in that formation, but... I've seen it happen enough where there's that theme of having that open dialogue and I've gone to many therapists and getting that feedback about what hasn't worked and what has and what hasn't even been touched. It's important to know because I can't go where they don't want to go or I can't go where places they haven't been before without asking them. And then I say, I go where you go. Let me follow in you in your tracks. If you have struggles, let me give you some clinical guidance. Let me try to help you. It's, it's then trial and error from there. But uh, I, I hope that answers your question of, you know, what happens when they have this experience working with multiple therapists. And then here I am, another new face, different age, different looking, different eye color, different hair, different, you know, voice. It's, it's all important because it's all about connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, what is interesting is that I wanted to learn because I have seen and heard stories from patients because as a mental first, let's say mental health first aider, mm -hmm. I tend to hear a lot of these stories and as a mental health activist. But also, I'm connected to therapists and people like yourself. So I wanted also people to have that kind of like the other side of the story. Ah. Because we, as humans, we come with, let's say, or as people who struggle with um, mental health, or anyone, any human being, they go, even if it's like a JP, let's say, we go with expectation, hmm. and once, for any reason, the expectations that we set to ourselves, prior even knowing that therapist, we tend to kind of like set ourselves for disappointment ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So there is not only the expectation, as you have said it, uh, about the age, maybe about the gender of the therapy, yeah. but we tend to forget that the most important thing is that we would have a safe space 
Catholic Ingrid as a very good female, female. Mm -hmm. But at least for me, I don't know about others, <laughs> but I can talk for me from my experience in craft. Yeah. I wanted a safe space. I wanted someone to help me to kind of like overcome uh, these challenges. But also, we have the tendency of having certain expectations about healing. I did not know what healing was. <laughs> That's like my journey went like um three years, and during these three years, I got to learn that healing is actually to be painful. Mm. Yeah, you you could face some painful moments, mm -hmm. but it's part of the journey, and you need to be prepared. And let's say um it's not only to the therapist to do the work. Actually, there is a high percentage of the work that we need to do. We do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. I should say that the high percentage or the effort that we need to do is actually once we go out of the clinic or, or the therapist doors, we say, goodbye, mm -hmm. see you next time. Between that, or meanwhile, we have a lot of effort to do. Yeah. So what are your experiences about this kind of story about healing? <laughs> Because healing is like a coin with two sides. It could be really something that you feel proud of doing because you can see progress. Mm. But it can be scary and painful at certain points. No, you hit it on the head. Um, I love that you opened up with expectation and disappointment. Uh, because it took me a while to understand that, that concept when I was becoming a, a newer therapist. Um, but, but you're right. Uh, they can come sit down with the therapist and have the expectation that at least it's been shared with me that the only work I have to do is sit and talk to you. Perfect. I'll see you once a week. And in, and in four to eight weeks, I'm going to be healed because of our conversation. Originally, that's how I thought therapy was going to be when I became a therapist. I remember my clinic my training clinic, they sent out a questionnaire to all the new graduate students becoming a therapist. And they said, what's your, they, they asked, what was the question? They said, what do you consider is going to be an obstacle for you in, in becoming a therapist, working at this nonprofit clinic that's free for locals in, you know, your, your county. And I remember writing down, I will struggle with clients that don't come in who are already motivated, who are not motivated. And who would have thought that it does take some action and some degree of motivation for healing to occur? Because when you're told you have to do X amount of work, motivation can dwindle and kind of fade because there is the expectation that I will heal you like a surgeon or I will heal you, and then you have no work on your end. Um, let me share with you a story real quick uh, that I, I share often. Um, when I was, uh, how old was I? I was 16 years old, I would always go to my neighbor's house, and they had this beautiful pit bull. I love this pit bull, cutest dog ever. Big and bulky, scary looking, but sweet as can be. And I would hang out with my with my uh, neighbors and we uh, play fetch with the pit bull. And one day I remember there was somebody who was working on their cable 
and there was a gentleman standing on the roof. And the, so their, their pit bull was a little bit more antsy that day, um, or as people say, a little skittish. And I remember my friend said, oh, you know, can you um, uh, watch, watch the dog? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I remember I was kneeling down next to the pit bull, tying my shoes, and the dog kept looking at the person on the roof. And unfortunately, the dog then attacked me and jumped on my arm, latched onto me. I was trying to get the dog off. I ran. It, it got my rib cage, my hips. It, it was a pretty bad situation. Well, I kept all those cuts and bruises and marks hidden from my family. I remember I wore long sleeve shirts and all that stuff because I knew if my family found out, they would have a, a, a confrontation with my neighbors and then we wouldn't all be friends anymore. And so I didn't want that to happen. So what do I do? I cover it all up. And what I didn't know is after a few weeks, I was getting sick really sick. And I went up to my parents and I was like, okay, so I actually got attacked by one of my favorite dogs in the neighborhood and I'm not feeling too well. Well, they took me to the ER and they found out the dog was sick too. And they had to give me all these shots because they found out the dog was getting sick with rabies. And I, and I didn't know because I was trying to heal in a way that I thought was going to be as beneficial for me in that moment. I was intentional about it because I didn't want to hear any negative backlash occur between my family and my neighbors. So I remember going in to the ER where they had to reopen all my wounds and, and, and do a lot of things to clean them out more properly than what I could do on my own. And it was painful. And therapy is similar sometimes. Not all the time. But sometimes depending on where your interest and depending on where the healing needs to become, needs to be, excuse me, sometimes it does take going back to those old wounds to have an emotional corrective experience. Whether it's talking like this or doing some sort of things at home to continue therapy while you're at home, it can be painful at first. And most of these times, these things aren't our fault. The dog attacked me. I still love her. It hurt, but gosh, I, I had, I, I, I should have gone to professionals or that shouldn't have happened in the first place is what I tell a lot of my clients too. What happened to you shouldn't have happened to you in the first place. You were a child when X, Y, Z happened. You weren't an adult. However, here we are today. Let's do something about it together. Let's heal. Let's clean out the wounds. Let's try to see if we can heal in a way that you can move forward and feel more successful and feel stronger, feel more resilient, more flexible psychologically. So when I am hit with clients who are um, struggling with the, the difficulties of trying to move forward, I share similar stories like that, or I like to hear times where they've had to as well get through difficult moments. And then I was actually getting sick and so I had to have a lot of um, needles pricked into me, a lot of medication, a lot of antibiotics, as well as them reopening the old wounds to work through them correctly and heal them correctly. And it was uh, one of the most painful experiences. And I didn't want that. 
Um, I didn't want to have to feel pain that wasn't necessary. However, that was necessary. Um, and I, I sh and and after that, I, I learned quickly how to how to you know relieve myself when I was at home with the the correct materials and helping me scrub out the old wounds and and it was painful. However, it was doing the the necessary job, and that was helpful. But it was very scary at first. And sometimes I share the story with with clients that what happened to me shouldn't have happened to me. And there are some people who tell me there are things that happened to them that shouldn't happen to them. And sometimes other people tell me that they're happy certain things happened to them because it made them stronger. So there's so many different perspectives that I've seen seen through this. But when I think about therapy, I think about that that story uh, in particular because who would want to go and sit down with a therapist knowing that you could potentially rehash and reopen old wounds? And I have those conversations with, with clients every day. And some of them are gung-ho about it. Some of them aren't. And it's understandable either way. There are going to be different perspectives on this. And healing happens in so many forms and fashion. I always thought it was supposed to just open up those old wounds so you can have a corrective emotional experience. And that's the case sometimes. However, as I'm learning and getting training and going along, there are some psychological routes that people can go to work on having good, strong feelings at first, positive emotions to work with before going through a little bit of darker times. It depends on your it depends on your who you're working with, depends on their orientation. It depends on where the client is and as we discussed meeting someone where they're at. You don't want to come in with the expectation of everything's just going to be um, fine or healing is going to be quick. And it's good to have those open dialogues to understand that here's the expectation I have from a clinical perspective, but What's more important is I've got to hear what you're expecting to. So having that open dialogue would have been wonderful. What would be wonderful for clients to have with their practitioner to understand what this is going to be about and having that ongoing permission feedback response system to discuss what you will and won't allow and how we can how we can move forward accordingly in a way that you see is going to be beneficial and that we're not just bringing up stuff for no reason. We're not just trying to poke at the bear just for fun. There's a purpose to it, but it it's not necessarily my complete job to convince people of that. I'd like for them to share with me what convinces them why it's worth even seeking help in the first place and what they hope to gain. And we can go as many routes as they want to to find that healing and take their thought process and the way they, they process emotions, thoughts, physiological feelings until they get to the point where they say, Jake, I don't think I can go any further. Maybe we can try that whole going to when I was 13 years old. And we can talk about that. Maybe we can try to do this. And honestly, that's where the healing comes in is when they trust and sit down with, with practitioners. And I'll, I'll share this last thing. Um, when I first became a therapist, I 
felt unfit for the field. And I think that's something we can discuss some other time. And it's, it's, it's what most professionals, even in the tech industry experience, it's called imposter syndrome. Most of us will experience that some point in our lives, but I remember I'm being trained right now by a team where they discuss research on the outcomes of therapy. And for anybody listening on your podcast who are clients or even future therapists or current therapists, I'm going to share the simplest thing I know that reminds me that I'm in the right position for the right time working with the right person right now, which is when you break down sitting down with someone such as this, when you break down what's the highest indicator of a healing component when when it comes to therapy, it's it's not the interventions that I use, although those can be helpful. It's not the techniques and the way that I go about it, although those are helpful too. It's not because I'm perceived as white. It's not because I'm perceived as a male. It's not because of my voice. That could be beneficial for some people. Some people may not be. But the number one thing that comes across all research for any healing to occur, and it's over 70% of working with professionals, is the relationship you have between you and your therapist. That relationship of the human connection does something to a person's psyche. And that is something I have to remind myself every single day the moment I feel like I'm in the wrong position as an imposter and that someone else should be sitting as a professional working with them because maybe they'll do a better job. That's, that's just not in the cards. It feels that way. However, when I remind myself that the relationship we have, them telling me we work out and that, that we have a good fit, that's healing to them. And it's, it's the coolest thing to actually pay attention to and then see when people first come in and work with you all the way till they get out and finish treatment with graduation. You notice the, the bond between you and your therapist becomes so powerful. And then I say, now practice this, what you and I have with people that you care about, people that you trust, develop that bond with them as well. Well, thank you, Jacob, for this wonderful, um, I should say, more than half an hour, or about half an hour. It was really um, covered with the uh, explanation of the practice. And as well, it, it's good to hear both um, sides of the coin, mm-hmm. to listen to people who struggle, but also to listen to the other side of the story. And things from the perspective of a therapist hmm. and this podcast here and what we do as mental health activists is that to just you know provide that bridge and understanding and provide information out there for people so they would know that if my first session or second or even third he did not work out with the first therapist, I think we need, so recently, one of my friends was going to see a therapist, and he had from the very first beginning, which is funny, that it's not the right fit for him, Mm. because he was being told 
about another therapist, which is according to him doing a great job. Mm. So I encourage you to just give her a chance. Let's see for him. And he eventually played with her, I think, for around three months. Wow. It's a very short amount of time. But eventually, the connection was not there. Mm. And he told me, like, Rashida, I'm not feeling it because he had one day needed her and she was not there for him, according to him. From his own understanding, mm. his ther- therapist was not available. I told him, maybe she's maybe she could not be there in that moment but there is always something that can be done but he prefers to go and work with another therapist and now he's very happy about the results because there is the connection there is the bond there is the understanding and he got what he was looking for so the message here is to please it's not related to you there is not a problem in you as a patient there is not a problem in your therapist it's just as you describe it as beautifully describing stuff we go with expectations from both sides and sometimes if that's quite we find this human connection sometimes it's not there and it's not your fault it's not the fault of your therapist it's just it's not there Mm-hmm. But I want to encourage today, anyone who's listening to that, to not give up because that will be a service that it will make you feel safe and open up in the ways that you are expecting. And please continue your own healing journey, no matter what, even if it takes more than two services. Hmm. So thank you, Jacob, and if you could finish this um, wonderful episode with one advice for either for therapists or for us, the rest of humanity who are now seeking to understand their own minds and brains and how they work, (laughs) I would be grateful. Sure. Um, What comes to mind as you and I free flow here is when I first became a therapist, I was trained and told not to be as available as I am online. Now, let me break that down a bit. Uh, There was a theme in therapy years ago where therapists should have a professional stance, which means not having your Facebook available to the public, which is understandable, but to change your Facebook name, to not have a YouTube channel, to not have a lot of different social mediums, medias on, on the mediums. And I remember that struck a chord in me because I felt very combative against that because I thought while I was in school, how will clients who find me on the internet in California know if I'm a good fit or not and they are afraid to call me? How will they find out about my services or my colleagues' services? How will they find out that they specialize in X, Y, and Z? Which brings me to like LinkedIn or scene of the therapist on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that right now, for the time being, if you follow your ethical responsibility as a therapist, I think you can do a lot of prominent things for clients by putting things out there about yourself, such as writing content about what you may specialize in, or if you're a generalist, more like myself, who are interested and fascinated with so many different languages in therapy, I I, I enjoy writing for 
on my website or other companies. They ask the questions, I like to answer them. And, and this is what it comes down to. I'm currently on my way to licensure as a therapist. I've, however, I've been writing online to share with clients who I am and readers. And I've been, I've been approached by dozens of individuals, even on LinkedIn, on every social media platform saying, what do you charge? How can I work with you? And I say, how did you hear about me? How do you even know I'm a therapist? And they say, because I've been following your content on WebMD or, or Thrive Global or, or Medium. Those, and I think that's an important thing that I want to share with professionals is find your voice. And if it's not there, it's in podcasting. If it's, if it's not there, it's in videos. Or don't do that at all. It could be it could be considered marketing and considered gross, but it's just I don't think it should be because this is this is therapist's way of getting their name and face out there because the ultimate goal is clients who are flicking through their phone come across a healing post and they're like, I like that. I connect with that. And then they click on there and they see, oh, they're a licensed professional in Maryland. I live in Maryland. Oh my gosh. They can do this within their state or they're a coach and they can provide treatment over state lines or they live here. And so when therapists are able to share their voice, such on such as psychology today, that's a good step in the right direction, I think. Now, as for clients, I would I would take similar approaches. Find find in your local area, find a, a local blog by typing in like a mental health blog and typing your city. Google it. Look for people on LinkedIn if you're a professional. Look through people on Facebook because there's Facebook business pages. I think more therapists and other mental health professionals are catching on that this is how things are slowly turning into. Now, don't get me wrong. There are going to be therapists who will say, absolutely not. I will not. I will not do any sort of content writing or any of, or any of that type of work online. Fine. That's, that's great. If you have clients that find you telephone book, yes. have at it. You you go for it. I myself have noticed the more information that I pump out online, I have professionals, I have clients who ask me how who ask me for help, who ask me for guidance. I don't provide any I don't provide any professional mm -hmm. advice. I provide friendly guidance to help them find a professional and maybe one day when I'm licensed and someone says I'm in California, and I say, oh, great, are both of our Saturdays free from 9 to 10 a.m.? Just maybe I'll get my first private practice client. That day will maybe come later down the line, depending what life has for me. But I encourage anyone out there who's interested in seeking therapy services, I suspect there's someone out there for you. And if not someone exactly, I, hear me when I say this, let's be as realistic as we can with this. Maybe you can find someone through content in a blog that you find something in common that you're willing to push yourself enough to say, I think I can give that therapist a chance with me because we connect in this one domain. And I think one domain is enough just to get the ball rolling. And the cool part is you have choice and power in a lot of circumstances. Now, I think in the future, you and I can talk about circumstances where there is limited choice, which I think is going to bridge a great conversation. But to focus on just being as realistic as possible, keep searching, look through online blogs. There's there's millions of them. Go through Pinterest, 
you'll find mental health content and you'll be like, oh my gosh, here's the creator of the content. Oh my gosh, we're in the same state. We can connect. So I would just encourage you to keep going through your social media platforms, keep searching on Google. There is someone out there and having the right fit is a good thing. It's healthy. As I said before, the clinical relationship between you and your client is key. It's cornerstone to have that growth and development for the client to one day say, I'm going to happily fire you because I've met my goals. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for the advice and for everyone who's listening, of course, I will uh, let uh, Jacob's website and everything that is related to him and how you can contact him on the podcast notes. So you can contact him directly. You can also find him on LinkedIn and I will, as I said, I will leave all his social media accounts and website so you can reach out to him. Thank you, Jacob. For gifting us with your time, you have been very generous and very fun. Thank you. It was a pleasure, and I hope to have more conversations with you soon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I look forward to that. Me too.